hi everyone and welcome to Opera Omnia. This is season number two, episode number four. This is the final movie review of season two. We've been looking at Peter Strickland all the way through because that's what we do in Opera Omnia. We turn our attention to one director and their entire body of work. Peter Strickland has been wowing us since his 2009 movie Catelyn Varga through Barbarian Sound Studio into the episode we dropped two weeks ago which was looking at the Duke of Burgundy and we finally arrived at his final movie for the time being. He's a busy guy and I dare say we will be looking at more Strickland movies for time to come. Plus he's young as well, which is even more disgusting. How dare he be so young? Uh, but we're looking... Youth. I know, I'd like young and talented is a like those two words should never go together because they are they make me fucking depressed. So <laughs> like every time. Uh so we're doing In Fabric. Uh, this came out uh well it was production year was twenty eighteen, it was released in twenty nineteen. A twenty four put this through, so you know like <laughs> Peter Strickland's going up in the world where A twenty four, that label that puts out those weird movies, uh was like, Yeah, we'll no, take th- don't. this. Don't <laughs> Duncan, don't. No, A24. Don't you know that the hipsters have turned on them? Do you know about this? I know everything about this. What the fuck? You know, it's like they're not, you know, it's like they're doing things for themselves and not for them. I mean... Oh my god. Hipsters, I love you, but again, you're wrong again. Shut up. (laughs) God, bless America. <laughs> so, in fabric, like I say, released in 2019. Uh, joining me on this uh, this season for the second last time because we will have a, a kind of finale episode in early January. Well, I say early January, probably mid to late January because early January I will be working out a lot, trying to shift the Christmas weight that I will put on inevitably by eating my body weight and things that are not good for me and drinking everything. Because I'm Scottish, and that's what we do. Balance, balance. Uh, joining me is a, a near and dear friend and a, a guy who I have immensely enjoyed chatting to about Peter Strickland is, of course, the phenomenal Richard Glensmith. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Duncan. Thanks for having <laughs> me back on the show. I really appreciate it. Wait one second. I, I can't remember extending the invite to Hipster Richard. <gasps> <laughs> hey, man, this IPA list is banging. Man, I love it. You know what? You guys got to listen to Taylor Swift. She's got this really like pop music transcends everything, man. Do you, I mean, <laughs> give Miley a chance. <sighs> give Miley a chance. <laughs> I, I love hipsters. They're so cute. They're like, they're like, but I like pop music like too, you know? And yeah. I'm like, I'm going to hang myself. <laughs> Anytime someone's enjoying something, they hate it. Anytime. Something mm-hmm. that's quote unquote indie is getting successful. They hate it. Mm-hmm. Love the freaking uh, obscure the- hops they use for their stupid ass beers. Yeah, I also love the fact that fucking they- mustache oil, <laughs> motherfucking tight dance, high waters. <laughs> they just claim God. everything though. Like they claim yeah. it like as if as theirs. Like beard oil existed for hundreds of years before, but no, no. <laughs> It didn't. How dare you even suggest it did? Like, IPAs existed for the longest time. People didn't drink them because they tended to leave a bitter taste. Um, You know, but they claimed that. Uh, You know, like, we spoke about it when we started talking about Jallos. (laughs) Like, Jallo hipsters are the fucking worst. (laughs) The worst. You know, I'm 18 years old and I'm a Jallo fan. And I'm like, like, what? What? 
So, I'm not saying you can't be, be, but come on, don't lecture me gotta here. Gotta have mother. perspective. Mm -hmm. I look at my opinions from my 20s, and I'm like, oh, yeah. bro, oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I like try to, like, uh, Brad found a bunch of my uh, my IMDb reviews. Oh God! <laughs> and, <laughs> from like. Uh, God, what year was that? I guess 2003. Oh, fuck. And I was t old enough to know better, but I was like a, basically a child. I'm just a big kid, so it doesn't, I don't really, I don't really grow up so much. I just had less stupid stages. And man, my, I wrote some IMDb reviews for movies in my stupid stage. Yeah. Well, I think, but we grow as individuals, like, we all grow as individuals. Some people don't, like, that growth stops at a certain point. And if that's too young, that's dangerous, I think, just in general. <laughs> All I know is that I'm always getting bigger. Mmm. Oh, dear. Oh, like the cookies I was eating. Ah, right, so you're going... We've had a lot of fun rattling through some Peter Strickland, but this is the one I said it to you almost like when I... I when I popped a question. Uh, I got down on one knee and sent you the message that said, Richard... <laughs> I ask thee to appear on season two of Opera Omnia. Do you accept my proposal? And you were like, yes. And I was like, we're talking about Peter Strickland. Have you seen him fabric? And you were like, no. And I was nope. like, oh, I do then. <laughs> but I don't think that's how a proposal works. I think if <laughs> I'm asking you, I don't know if I can answer for you. Um, it's like I've seen in Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, <laughs> accepts the proposal over a mouth, you know. I love this man of mine. Um, so, yeah, like, this was the one I was excited about because In Fabric came out as this is Peter Strickland returning to horror. And everyone was like, ooh, that Barbarian Sims. Well, we didn't like Barbarian Sims Studio, did we? No. Ooh, though. A24, but ooh. Um, yeah. And it's like, 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 what I love is, like, when a movie comes out, you get those instant, like, this isn't the movie I thought was going to be reviews. And uh, what made me smile is, like, I don't know at what point people from the poster, which says in big letters, a killer dress, right? It contains right. a picture of said red dress, and it has the name Peter Strickland on it, that anyone thought this was going to be a vanilla, straight down the middle horror movie. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know where anyone got that fucking idea, but it was great to see people kind of start to fall off a bit. And I had to wait ages because this played at I think this played at TIFF uh, the year before and then finally made its way over this the same week as a uh, uh, um, as Ari Aster's uh, Midsommar which I saw oh, I saw wow. both those movies one day apart and my face was like numb what the fuck <laughs> like, like my face That's was great numb um, I, I, I don't know if I ever told you so I saw Midsommar twice in one day because I had to put an episode so I was going to see it with my friends at night but I had to put an episode out and I, did, I knew I wouldn't have time to because we were going to, to like a midnight showing for all intents and purposes uh, wow. so I went first thing in the morning to watch that movie go home write a review about a three hour horror movie and then go back that night to watch the same three hour horror movie <laughs> but pretend oh that I hadn't God. seen it to my friends because they you know we were all going open the night together <laughs> I had to sit there and go oh well this is this is shocking I didn't see this coming <laughs> Uh, Why is Duncan Bean like this? <laughs> like, He's taking this so well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I saw, I saw in Fabric about the same time. This is this is Strickland being playful. 
It's just unlike. I think you mentioned in the previous episode that there is a certain point where you can push things out almost as far as they can go before they will collapse back in on themselves. And I think he's doing that with almost all the themes of his movies thus far. He's pushing it out as far as he can possibly push it. I mean, even the concept itself, the idea of a killer dress, you know, is a bit is a bit out there to begin with. Um, and then the specific visual style is a bit out there, the kind of 70s retro feel, the soundtrack. You know, everything he's doing here feels almost intentionally designed to put off mainstream horror fans, and I kind of love it <laughs> because of that. Um, but what it does have in spades is almost every single thing that we've discussed in the previous three episodes that make Peter Strickland such an interesting director. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to, to get into a bit of detail about this one, about the killer dress. Um, I do have to ask you one thing though, um, and you do not have to answer it in terms of a positive or a negative. I have been hyping up this movie for a while. So... <laughs> I want to know if it lived up to that hype, and you don't have to tell me if it was in a good way or a bad way. Did all my hype of M Fabric live up? You could have described <laughs> this entire movie to me from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and nothing could have prepared me for what actually <laughs> plays out on screen. It's just like that one sentence uh, description for Duke of Burgundy. Oh, God, yeah. Where it's like, two women argue. And are, they're, they're gay. <laughs> but Two this, women this arguing one, butterflies. It's <laughs> like my friend was. I when I knew we were doing this, I mm-hmm. bought the Blu-ray, mm-hmm. sight unseen, and I you know I put it on Instagram uh, with uh, along with Duke of Burgundy, which I didn't own yet. Mm-hmm. And my buddy Paul was like, "Oh man, that's a great double feature." And I mentioned I hadn't seen it in Fabric yet, and he goes, "He goes, hey, it's pretty good, but." As long as you're okay with it being about a killer dress, you should be fine. And in my mind, I'm like, you don't know me at all. I love you, man. But do you think that's going to be my problem with it? Like, That's the most normal thing in this fucking movie. Is, I mean, I'm surprised that the dress didn't start eating people, but then it'd be the dress that eats people, like the bed that eats people. So it would be kind of a weird... But no, you you definitely uh, you aptly hyped it for me nice. very nicely. Yeah, like uh, the, the, this is based on this whole concept of doing Peter Strickland second was about people that I wanted to talk about certain directors with, and I try and marry them up, I try and pick uh, like a, a guest host that I think might have a passing interest or might actually get a lot out of a director who may have not seen their work before. So they're like off the back of In Fabric. Um, it was always that thing where, you know, in the back of my head, it's always been kind of playing over. I wonder if Richard's seen this movie. So I'm glad that we're finally here. Uh, but we are going to tease you no more. Edging is about to stop and we're going to take a short break. Uh, you're going to hear the trailer for this movie when we return. We're going to finally find out what Richard made of In Fabric. And once again, like, hear me, like, serenade this movie. Because uh, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of adore this one as well. So, uh, yeah, a short break trailer. We're going to be right back right after this. A purchase on a horizon? I'm just looking, thank you. The hesitation in your voice 
soon to be an echo in the recesses of the spheres of retail. The dress is your image onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. I don't normally wear this kind of thing. Be bold. Your date will compliment you. I would like you to announce the numbers to your telephone. 01632 960 7 and 7 and 8 and 8 and 6 and stop. As promised. Thank you. You look different. Oh my god, what's that? That looks nasty. Maybe just the washing powder. Oh, I hope it isn't catchy. How's it going, Sheila? Everything's fine. What happened to your hand? Washing machine went bananas. Know me. What's that supposed to mean? It's just a cheap bit of mystery. I think something's wrong with that dress. Don't tell me you're scared of a dress. The dog ripped it to pieces. Spanking spank you almost. Such a pretty dress. <laughs> Anything nice in the sales? Just a dress. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for In Fabric. This one is written and directed once again by Peter Strickland. It's almost as if there's a theme to this series. <laughs> Don't know what that hmm. might be. Um, hmm. uh, this one stars, and I'm going to use this loosely, she stars in a picture and at the very end... Uh, are one of our main characters, or Cynthia from the previous. Uh, Cynthia and Miranda. I'm now thinking the collector may have had it. I don't know. Um, I've now got this in the back of my head and I don't know why. Sidney uh, uh, Babbitt Knutson is in this one. Mary Ann Jean Baptiste. Julian Barrett from The Mighty Bush is in this. Oh my god. Yeah, I yes. know. Boy is he ever. Uh, Steve Orm's in this one, who, if you've been listening to the Ben Wheatley episodes that we've been doing in season one, you will have heard his name pop up. Um, Jagan I is in this. Richard Bremer, Deborah Griffin. Uh, Fatma Mohammed returns again. And another role which she's almost completely unrecognisable. So that's her now. Every Strickland movie. Like from playing Catelyn Varga herself through to you know one of the one of the ladies uh, in Barbarian Sound Studio through to you know like one of the I think she's a screamer actually uh, through to her playing the carpenter in the previous movie that's talking about the bed returns here as Miss Luckmore who is maybe one of the greatest characters in cinema history I'm oh, not gonna lie. Yeah. Oh, I fucking love this movie. Uh, right, uh, we have some other ones. Susie Ann Coppolero, uh, Gwendolyn Christie. And now, if you watch those, like, Game of Thrones, like, TV episodes, yeah, the big night chicks in this one. Um, she's in it as well. Just a, a weird cast. Like, a yeah. weird cast. <laughs> Such a strange cast in this movie. And some other ones who are known from British like TV just in general uh, the synopsis for this one is In Fabric is a haunting ghost story set against the backdrop of a busy winter sales period in a de- department store and follows the life of a cursed dress as it passes from person to person with devastating consequences I like that synopsis Yeah, I like it a bit better um, 
we didn't begin with. Oh, in fact, I the where I begin with this is I hand this to you. Is where I begin with this and say. You sat down to watch In Fabric. I wish I could have been a fly on <laughs> the wall. Honestly, it would have made me. I just like, yeah. What did you make of In Fabric? Well, okay. So you got two movies, mm-hmm. maybe maybe ten, all packed into one, <laughs> and uh, you got a a British drama, like a very uh, like a slice of life British drama, mm-hmm. like a soap opera, but you know, not not in a. Uh, an East Enders kind of a way, but you yeah. know, a very dry uh, British period piece of you know period piece being is this the seventies? Is this whenever? Mm-hmm. But by way of like Suspiria, the department store, <laughs> and I dumb. and I do mean the remake of Suspiria, like this, <laughs> yes. like this shit is wild. Um, like yeah, I, I am learning. I'm learning. I still have to learn this a lot is I'm pretty good at turning off my expectations. I'm pretty mm. good about being angry, or excuse me, about not being angry and saying it wasn't what I wanted. So I'm mad at it. Now yeah, this was yeah. this I mean nothing in my wildest dreams could have predicted what was going to unfurl <laughs> with this bad boy. Oh, so nice. I don't even know what I could have imagined. But yeah, this is this even when you have your expectations off, this is gonna defy them. Like it's gonna find the core of what you thought maybe a movie czar even is like mm-hmm. this is so strange. It really oh. is. It really is from the for almost from the outset, the design of this movie is to confuse. Uh, is to confuse yeah. in that and I, I love the comparisons to, to, to Suspiria, even old and new, specifically more new, but the, there's a there's a delicacy to the score in this movie that at times offsets the weirdness that's happening on the on the screen. It's almost yes. juxtaposed with it, and I think there's an art to that of, of bringing those two things together. Because even when the dress is doing some of the weirdest stuff, um, like just floating above someone's bed while they're having sex. Um, <laughs> just like like the music still like it's like kind of plinky and it's all like kind of dreamy and woozy and and beautiful and it's just like kind of lying in the background and it's 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 wonderfully it's what i juxtapose is what i would that's the best way to describe it um you know what else is off-putting with this mm -hmm. one go for it it's funny as shit this has a sense of humor which gets me just right, yeah. Because like, Duke, Duke of Burgundy right. has some humor, yes. And Bur- Barbarian Sound Studio has some humor. I don't think there's any humor in Catalan Varga. <laughs> well, but, well, uh, well, if there is, then you may need to speak to someone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Strickland is getting funnier as he goes along, and I think he's really, really having fun. And that's something that you don't expect from him mm-hmm. to really just get crazy and set up jokes that are profoundly weird like like you said i imagine you have a strange sense of humor yes and for for this one to just get laughs i mean is it's wacky he he has a strange sense of humor and i like his strange sense of humor it helps that like i want a spin-off movie with stash and clive uh, the guys that are the that that they're the face of the bank. Um, oh my god! They are like like the fu- the fact you've got Julian Barrett in here, and like I said, he's from the Mighty Bush, which one of my it's one of my hey, all time faves. Love. You got to give my wife Lietta credit. On, I got to give her full credit on this one. We were watching that scene, and she's like, "That's hey, a Mighty Bush guy." And yeah. I'm like, "What?" 
it's the guy, you know, the the, the tall one, the, the the guy. And I'm like, oh my god, he's she unre- confirmed it. Yeah, he's yeah. almost unrecognizable in this one because he looks I a lot older than he is. He looks so good, like he's like re- reverse aging, where he's definitely aging, but he's looking like more gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, he's like, he's, he's, he's doing that, that that Sean Connery aging. Where yes. like, for a good period of time you're like that. He's not sixty. <laughs> he's so he's so great. Like, yeah, I'm so glad he's in this. Yeah, him and Steve Orham, who's done some like he was one of the more comedic roles in a field in England, um, and also in Sightseers as well. Um, so you know he's he's really he's a he's a, a, a talent as well. But the two of them playing off each other, and it's the it's almost the kind of Monty Python esque humor that's put in here specifically which once again kind of goes hand in hand with the kind of 70s uh, setting of you know you did really well they really like your approach to things you weren't at the bowling though and we did notice something about the handshake now here's a here's a here's a guide to take to you now if you want we could act through some I love like because there's a there's a seediness about those characters you don't get into and it's specifically it's the line you know um, we could go through some scenarios we have some costumes and can dress up um, like it's just this idea of ooh, I'm a, I'm an old grocery lady and let's do a handshake test. You know she comes I, and dress like Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, there, there's this thread of uh, <laughs> thread in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a thread of freaking bureaucracy, like making fun of yes, like that crushing that the British thing of like you can't just work in oh, retail. Yeah. yeah, you can't just work at a bank. You, you have can't to work as a, a washing ma- machine repairman yeah. on your own washing machine. You have to sell your soul. It's like it's like, are you really committed though? Like I've worked retail in the states, mm-hmm. and they don't make you, um, like have a blood transfusion <laughs> with the owner of the company's blood until you want those keys. Mm-mm. Like if you want to close the store at night, that's when you have to literally have all of your blood replaced. With uh, with the, the owner of the company's blood, and, and they, get, they rape you mentally and, and freaking metaphysically, when you're just a schlub who's on the floor, you, you don't have to worry about it. But I think in England, I mean, it's like a British sensibility. I mean, I'm, I I know everything about England because I'm American. Yes, those would be and uh, I've always gotten this vibe from them that they expect a lot from their from their working force that maybe other countries don't yeah. know about. I, I don't. I think. I think there's always. A, I think there's a. An, there's a. There's an amplification of it. There's almost a, a like a steroid version of that at play in here. But I think it does speak kind of true to. I think bureaucracy is a great idea behind that. Seventies were really volatile in the UK, uh, specifically with union yeah. strikes um, and stuff. And that the idea of like like by the end of the seventies we had Thatcher. So you know we're moving away from that into this. Like that, we had Thatcher. You had Reagan. That's right. You're welcome, world. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not going to have negative impacts for the next forty years and beyond. No, enjoy. Enjoy. Uh, but you know, like we have that kind of breakdown of, of the the kind of ideas of levels of bureaucracy, but the the commitment that you have to to put in, whether it's you know hard working at the bank, but specifically this. You know, it's not like you, Suspiria is the best approach to this one because it's not a dance academy; it's a department store, and everything is a bit off. Everything's ritual at this store, like the way it's like people will queue outside and then the the, 
the creepy Count Orlock guy <laughs> comes down the stairs and he he kneels down and he's he's wooing them in with his fingers and then like the essentially his his brides of Dracula <laughs> come down behind <laughs> and they're doing the whole and they're all dressed very Victorian and they're all doing the hand things. It's all it's part of the the ceremony, the hypnotic. Uh, advert that plays with the when it swirls and swirls like it's just like there's a whole thing and the way they talk which I did read a bit there's a couple of facts on IMDb which I absolutely love and it mentions to Sigmund Freud's theory of fetishism but the way the characters talk are in this very procrastinated almost um Protracted way of actually getting to the point. Yeah. Like, everything like, is like the Riddler or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this speaking riddles. Like, once you finally get to the the, and everyone ex- like interacts with it with a degree of normalcy, which I kind of love. Except Babs at the end, who just wants to buy a fucking dress, um, yeah. and she's having none of this. Uh, but here's here are a couple of my favorite things from the IMDb. First thing it says is that in the catalogue, the colour of the dress is listed as artery red, which I do, that just passed oh, my face. Nice. Uh, but the main one is, and this is, um, this is legitimately amazing. Amongst the newspaper headlines that are visible on the front pages of the report are finalists announced for the rudest waiter of the year, Larry the pool attendant wins trip of a lifetime to New York, more, li- more garlic mustard needed for orange tip butterflies, Catalogue model killed at Zebra Crossing. Uh, landlady caught night gardening in tenants' properties. Vandals <laughs> destroy Edgar the Snowman. Bird droppings on this is my favourite. Bird droppings on window mistaken mistaken for sea monster. Uh, photographer apologises for pretending smooth snake was found in Thames Valley on Thames last summer. <laughs> so this to me like when we're talking about humour this is Strickland this is Strickland's humour that we've never really got a chance to take on board um, so the movie's split it's kind of technically this is technically an anthology but it's not um, and it kind of is though at the same time and that it has a, ra- a rapping story the rapping story is the department and we are following two main storylines through here the first storyline being um Sheila uh, newly divorced lives at home with her you know I, w- I would say like late teenage early 20s son um yes. her ex has moved on he's going to be getting married she is working at a bank and she's looking to move on herself and recapture a bit of something and stumbles across the dress in a department store uh, this dress, a red dress has an interesting backstory in that the model played by uh, Knudsen um, from from a, a little bit of Duke of Burgundy uh, she died horribly in a car accident uh, well, car knocked her over as she was crossing the zebra crossing um, after modelling the dress so it was only one dress ever made and uh, you know, th- th- could this dress be cursed? And essentially, at home, things aren't great for Sheila. Her son is <laughs> masturbating a lot, um, as teenage boys mm. will do. Uh, but specifically, he is kind of enthralled with Gwen, uh, who's played by Gwendolyn Christie of, like I say, Game of Thrones fame, who wow. is this kind of older <laughs> woman that is 
at first kind of modelling for him, but then they just they are they are just doing things in that house. Hey, and, hey, um, you know what? If you don't want to know what your son is doing, yeah, do not peek through the keyhole. No, you, well, you know, I, <laughs> like it's don't. not just peek through the keyhole. Like as soon as you have an Eiffel, you walk away. You don't continue looking until she looks back at you. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you looking. It's it's weird. It's weird. And then she starts to enjoy the sex more because the mom was looking. Yeah, like, oh no! There's a weird power play in there. I love the like. There's a, a a very tense scene of them basically playing a board game. <laughs> like, is that a real game? That's What's a real that? game. Yeah, I, th- I I don't know what it's called, but I remember games like that from, for like from my youth. I remember like 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 being like like seven or eight years old and at like family's house for like Christmas and stuff and those sort of board games exist in so I think that game does exist I have not a clue what it wow. is um, but th- those sort of things do exist um, and uh, yeah like the, the whole like kind of she rolls a number and then it's the tension is she going to make the move that I think she's going to make the move and it's, it's like it, it, it's, these scenes are just once again are just a great example of how Strickland is it's almost peacocking in this movie. It's the only way I can describe it. He's just like he is so confident making this movie because at his very core, it's a ludicrous premise, and that's kind of how it works. Because if you don't commit to that, if at any point you flinch, it's like playing chicken with the audience. Any point you flinch in driving towards them at the speed you are, you lose them. Um, and Strickland doesn't flinch at all, and it works. Um, but she's having a horrible time. Like, like she's like just. Like at her work, she's going through it. Like the <laughs> uh, Stash and Clive. Like we we go from the conversation about the handshake to later on after she's been mauled by a fucking dog, right? And she's back, she's back in there chatting, and they are matter of fact while she's eating her sandwich, basically saying, "Oh, the dog's been put down. It's been put to death." Oh my god! And yeah, like hard. just like you're yeah, like, and you know what? They didn't. He did not give him a treat before he was. He didn't give him his favorite treat before he was put down. And you're like, oh yeah, but like just like he was trying to protect her from the dress Try, he was going for the he ripped the dress off her it was the dress he wanted um, but yes yeah, so but then they take her through the room and then they talk about the the informal way she waved at the boss's mistress oh my god so and good it's just like the whole setup is so <laughs> against what you're like you've got to remind yourself I'm watching a movie about a killer dress. Like yes. <laughs> this scene is in a movie about, and I, I love it because it's all these little avenues. He's, he's playing once again, playing with texture. The texture yeah. being, I think this time, like different ideas of storytelling, humor. Right. He's and doing I, a different genre. He's doing a completely different genre. He's doing a story about a a lady facing the disappointments mm. of middle age, <laughs> yes. watching her go through this dating scene. And oh my god, that first guy she goes on a date with—that is so <laughs> funny! Holy shit, that guy! The, the guy is called Adonis. The guy oh, shows up god. with some vouchers, saying that basically they have to share a, a dessert together for him to get his. T- not will you do this to get ten percent? Because the other guy does that, and he's much better at doing it. But it's oh, literally the, you know the, the other guy. The name of the who is the guy that the on the second date? Um, I will. It, it, it's, it, he's got a, a very it's a kind of straight name is it Zach? Zach? yeah I think it's yeah. Zach I love him I want to see more of him because she has a date with this another guy Yeah, and you think oh here we go it's going to start all bullshit again with that damn pudding coupon <laughs> 
but this guy's so sweet and he he loves her like immediately yeah. and they find each other and they're like it's like what is this movie where are we going and of yeah, course it's like you don't, you don't know <laughs> You, you, you don't the dress as well when you wear it for the first time it leaves a mark on you so it leaves this kind of it leaves its its mark yeah. you've been you've been you've been you've been uh, marked for for death essentially because no one no one survives that wears this dress um, and uh, yeah so we have all this stuff going on but ultimately you see it is really the best example and I'm glad that you said it is it feels like a, like a soap drama it does genuinely feel like a soap drama that, you know, you're following a character, life at home and all the rest, the humour being added in a way that it does kind of feels very much in line with the, like you mentioned, EastEnders, EastEnders, I think, is, is a, a relatively good comparison here. I think um, Babs, the actress, later on, she has done soap opera work, so that kind of makes yeah. sense. Um, so, yeah, so we, we, we follow through with her. Uh, Sheila just goes through a series of essentially disappointments and when she finally finds a man that she can fall for and she starts to piece together that maybe this dress is evil and that a dog tried to tear it off her um, it destroyed her washing machine which ripped up her arm um, and you know like it, it was ripped and somehow self-healed uh, and she tries to give it back at the department store and um once again, like uh, a lot more, it's just her protracted way of speaking just leads her to leave him with the dress. She just wants out the door. And then creepy, what's his face? Uh, is it Mr. Lundy? Um, who, who's the, the head of the, <laughs> the fucking head of the department store. And Man. is, oh, the scene where, right, there's a, there's a, there's a weird disconnect here. We have to talk about this, right? Okay. Because like, there's no easy way to talk about this. Once again, this movie full of mannequins. And those mannequins will be used in the department store and also in the middle of a road to cause a car accident. Um, because why not? Uh, but there is a scene where two of the assistants in the store um, who are like chalk white kind of powdered face, uh, exaggerated red lips, the kind of fake beauty mark of Victorian era, um, or even before the Victorian era actually, um, in fact, there is actually that it goes. It goes before that the, the way they're dressed, and um, like they decide to essentially clean a, a yeah a, a mannequin as you do and wash him down seductively, and then <laughs> Mister Lundy appears and he is having a whale of a time watching two of his on-store girls yes. soap down a, a a mannequin, which then has pubic hair. What? Yeah. yeah, that's the that is it, the mo- that's the moment of like, the movie. We're like, okay, here we go. When they pull the freaking underwear off that thing, and it is a freaking uh, a muskrat yeah. in your leg. So this mannequin, and he yeah. just starts jerking it. What's well, the is, fuck? like that? But I, I remember seeing this, and like, the, let me tell you a little stuff. Like, I saw this. I had to travel to see this movie. It did not get a wide release in the UK, and um, I had to travel to Edinburgh to see this. And I saw it in a very small independent film uh, cinema. And um, I was in there with about four people. It was in it, it was fairly empty, and um, like a couple of people left earlier in the movie, <laughs> right? So there was realistically there was only two of us, me and an older woman. And when that scene happened with that man with his hand in his pants, she got up and she made a big to do about leaving. Oh, just oh, go, lady! Yeah. Just oh, go. I have never seen that. What? What is this? Is absolutely 
absolutely disgraceful. And uh, so she walked oh out. So then God. it was just me and, and Fabric. After that point, I'll tell you right now, Duncan had a whale of a time. Uh, <laughs> now, you had a, now you had a chance to put your hand down your pants. Yeah, I, I, I pulled a Lundy. Uh, yeah. I, was like, I was right in there. I was like, you know, they say two, two's company um, and three's a crowd and she's gone. Uh, so, like, but yeah, like there are bits here where, like, this department store is like this weird entity in itself and it's it's almost like this kind of ethereal structure that exists out with our reality and like specifically as some sort of portal or gateway to some sort of hell that we'll touch on later on in the end of this movie but ultimately after everything she's went through um things are not doing all that great for Sheila she decides to go and stay with her partner uh, and then mannequins appear about the road and she she dies, sadly. Uh, the dress arrives though and then appears in a charity shop uh, oh and is, is picked up for what we call in the UK a stag night. I think you call it a bachelor party, I think. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's for this guy who, oh my God. Like this, this... <laughs> Oh man, where where to begin with our with our buddy here? Um, Reg speaks. Yes, who is getting married to to Babs? His high high school sweetheart works for a uh, washing machine repair company. Who are mentioned earlier on in the like when uh, Sheila's washing machine breaks, the company is mentioned. Which once again, I love that. So it's kind of it's doing the anthology thing, but it's like one. It's kind of the sort of thing they would do with the old Amicus anthologies, where they would link everything up. Um, no. I kind of love that. Same same sort of idea with modern ones like Trick or Treat, or even to an extent uh, that new one, the Mortuary Collection, um, where you're linking everything up through a central point. Um, because like those people know the department store, uh, you know Clive and Stash know the, you know know the washing machine repair people, yeah. and uh, so he wears a dress as part of his stag, as will happen in the UK. He's very, I'm very surprised and shocked that he made it home and was not handcuffed to a uh, street lamp, um, and only the dress, which is a common practice in the UK. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you're going to get married. Let's humiliate you, yay! Because that's what you want. Um, but anyway, anyway, um, he is dull. <laughs> like Reg, Reg is a is a very meat and potatoes sort of guy. <laughs> yes, he has. He's in hell, his own private hell, he's which not- he's he's created for himself because yes. he has an inability interestingly enough his name is Reg Speaks and he doesn't mm. speak much <laughs> but when he does he's a mutant he's a secret mutant with superpowers he, when he Reg Speaks he speaks only about washing repair washing machine repair and this literally hypnotizes people and seems to push them to the point of near orgasm he hypnotizes yep. that this woman he hypnotizes um, Babs at one point, and of course, Stash and the other dude are who, trying to who coach clearly, him. He clearly know of this ability because do. They, they do it oh. twice, Tom. And he, oh God, it's so good. It's so good. But and, and, like the father, the father-in-law is this tough guy. Yeah. Who's like, you know, he's like, 
on his stag night being all awesome with him and, and pushing him to get all freaking crazy. But then yeah. he's like, by the way, I'll yeah. fucking kill you if you mess with my daughter. And, and then his <laughs> buddies comment how he says, well, I know Babs is a lot to deal with. And one of his buddies is like, oh, yeah, you could say that again. He's like, shut up, you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, okay. I want to talk about their relationship real quick. Babs and Reg. Mm-hmm. He's he's putting it in her butt, I think. So That's how I saw it? I think she's still a virgin oh. for him. And they're one of those, you know, it's okay if we have sex as long as it's in the butt couples. Because that oh, looks a never... lot like that's what there was going on. Well, there yeah, yeah. Other way, logistically, the entry point is very difficult <laughs> from that angle. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, that's, I, 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 I picked up on the, the fact that, that was, I hadn't picked up the reason behind it, which makes a that's lot more sense now. Yeah, I, I think that that equates. Um, there's also like the, t- the tough man dad might have something to say about that and then maybe why they're doing that. Because he does loom very large over their relationship and that yes. he just appears to just walk in and just he's setting up the Christmas decorations and I'm like that's not what someone you don't do that in someone else's house um, I'm never <laughs> coming in decorations uh, technically this movie could be a Christmas movie I've just realised that um, it, I was trying to convince Lietta of that because we're all, we're only in Christmas watching mode right now and I'm like look Christmas tree and she's like mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah yeah nice try <laughs> uh, <laughs> jingle bears <laughs> it's like no it's not going to work um, but yeah so like he he works as the like, repairman and we follow through the once again, this is because it's such a dramatic change from the first story, and that yeah. this time it's Babs that is frequenting the the store. She takes a shine to the dress. Obviously, as soon as um, Reg has had this dress put on him, he's marked, and only bad things will happen to him. Which coming away, and we actually start to see a bit more about the dress when that dress is picked up originally by his father-in-law. Um, it's or it's not. It's actually not even his father-in-law. It's someone else. When they pick it up, they put it over the top of a box of vegetables, and when it falls off, they've rot. You know, it's basically sapped the life out of them, which is once again to give you this idea that this dress is evil. Um, which nice. I like it because we don't approach that at all later on. Out with the dress m- mysteriously falling over the top of an electric fire and causing the department store to burn down at the end, um, <laughs> but somehow surviving the wreckage because the story will continue. Um, mm-hmm. In fabric too, the. Hemming, um, I don't know. The fabricing. <laughs> the fabricing. Uh, it's going to tear the fabric of reality. Oh, there we go. What? God uh, bless it. Give me it. Uh, so, like, Rich um, kind of follows a, a lot of the same sort of like things are not going great for him. He's about to get married. His wife is on him about absolutely everything. He doesn't have much of a personality. The reason she probably loves him as much as she does is because he's a pushover. He's got a steady job. He's reliable. He goes out and works and that allows her to live the lifestyle that I think she wants. And also whenever she moans, he listens realistically um, Mm. because he doesn't want to speak up. And uh, what you get is... I like the scene once again they put the dress in the washing machine we know what's going to happen we've been here before uh, it breaks the washing machine and Reg fix it but because of that bureaucracy you mentioned earlier on we're going to we're going to revisit a little bit of that here in that his boss who never speaks but stares fucking menacingly his boss is terrifying like his like his boss eats his card because it like eats his work card and fires him because it's stressed that 
even though he's repairing his washing machine, the skills that he has learned were paid for by the company. So he must yep. have been an apprentice, which means it should have been done on the books. Um, and he's been grasped in by one of his neighbours. Once again, call back to Duke of Burgundy. What is it with these neighbours grasping people up, Richard? Oh my God, everyone's a spy. Everyone is a spy. Busybodies is what I call them. Um, so yeah, like he loses his job. He doesn't have the heart to tell his future wife that he's lost his job so he goes for the bank loan which once again sets up the (laughs) (laughs) oh so good so good Um, the wife goes in to fix the heating and she puts the dress on top of the heater which I think at that point is what dims the heater because like it appears Reg dies at the end of this movie by carbon monoxide poisoning yep Um, Whilst watching it, which is hypnotic in itself, um, and then like Babs goes away to the department store. You know, our luck more doesn't want her there. Um, she's having none of it. Babs wants to try a dress on. She goes to try a dress on, and then he fight breaks out um, between oh two God. patrons, which then ultimately ends in he like a brawl for all. It's the only way you can describe it in the department <laughs> store. Um, while Babs puts the dress hanging up which falls onto an electric fire which essentially starts to burn down the department store and then you get maybe one of the greatest things that's ever happened in cinema um, like like on t- this is like literally like you talk about the like we went from the the biggest we can with this movie it's time to bring it back in it's that way where they show you something exploding in space how it be- essentially implodes as a vacuum things that is literally what you get here so the the fire alarm is this message yes. which at first plays normally but then at some point when the flames start to get really bad has this sinister laugh that then comes in <laughs> at the end like it doesn't originally play with a laugh but then starts nope. playing with a laugh which starts to get more muffled and slower and more sinister with the music starting to go really quite erratic and for whatever reason uh, Luckmore decides that she's going to save just one mannequin and she goes into her coffin like whenever she she sleeps in a dumbwaiter like that's yes. li- like in this movie which once again no reason no explanation uh, we don't need it and as the dumbwaiters travel her down we can see like the different levels of purgatory where the dress has captured the people it's killed who are forced to repair the dress yep and that's we see how it keeps coming back yeah and, th- and we see her face like at first being confused but by the end there's this kind of wild eyed delight as she sees more of it and then the department store's burned down uh, and, and it almost kind of <laughs> and almost the end into the movie Time Bandits um, you know like <laughs> the, the charred wreckage uh, a fireman not played by Sean Connery this time um, appears to lift up the dress and that's your credits run there um, I mean, narratively speaking, it is not as I would say it's maybe not as satisfying in terms of an A to B to C structure as yeah. the previous movies we've done. I really like it though. I think it's like you say, it's the idea of them taking different narrative styles, different styles of storytelling as well, and kind of seeing how he can architecturally fit them into a kind of horror comedy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a trope of art cinema. Yeah, where where you follow a character, you establish this rich um, 
narrative thing with this main character kill them off mm. or leave them to switch up the whole movie in midstream and then do the same thing with another character and put them in a parallel situation like that's something that happens in a lot of art cinema i can't think of any examples off the top of my head right now but yeah. i have seen this so many times and of course uh, straight up, that's one of the things I don't like about this movie is mm. I love Sheila and her story and her, like the the pathos and everything you feel for her trying to like start her life over again. I don't like that we leave her midway through. Yeah, but that's my my only criticism of this film. Yeah, and, it, and, only uh, because I've seen that before in other art films. Yeah, it's a, there's a deliberate choice here that he is making right at the start that this is the sort yeah. of movie I'm going to do and you do you either have to be on board with it fully or it will be something that and it's used a lot actually interesting even you're saying that it's like that aspect that you maybe don't like but you you know you gravitate towards the rest of the movie for me a lot of the initial comments that came out about the movie were that it just felt like a couple of movies stuck together and with no craft behind yeah. it which I think is is like shortchanging a lot of the hard work yeah, that, that Strickland that. does here. Um, I mean, it's shot fucking incredibly. This is a beautiful oh looking movie. Oh like, beautiful God, yes. looking movie. Once again, that, that kind of idea of it's out of time. We don't know where it's set. So all these movies now have this, you know, it's probably set in the 70s because it feels like the 70s. The TV that the, uh, Red Speaks is looking at feels like a 70s TV. The telephone that Sheila has in her house is a 70s telephone. So it kind of feels like that. But there's, like, there's implements here that don't make sense. Like, I don't think washing machines were as far along as they are shown in this movie. Um, the kind of weird like air kind of compressed air tunnels for in the department store to you know basically create a transaction I mean they existed to an extent but not for just general transactions so that's kind of weird um, so that's in there um, and then on top of that like going like the next level like so cinematography beautiful out of time uh, once again set design costumes impeccable acting across the board there isn't a bad actor in here it's just like a really really well put together acted movie um, whether you're coming in from a comedic point of view the comedy works in its own right or the drama side the drama works in its own right I think um, like the, the the actress who he's now worked with for so long uh, Fatima Mohammed, is luck more is maybe one of my she was my favourite character in a horror movie like in 2019 and I just she's nice. just so amazing and so striking looking and so yeah. not what that actress looks like so she's like a, she's a mannequin come to life she is she like she really is I think uh, the, the bald head underneath mm -hmm. her wig which is a great that's a great shock moment yeah like I she just the whole movie could have been just about her yeah you know I would watch her go through her day for two hours you know it's yeah, and I that way of speaking <laughs> that everyone in the store has to do oh mm -hmm. my god it's, it's just it's like there's just a, a wonderful craft to that and then once again like I said before like the fact that Strickland understands texture as well as he does you get that a cavern of antimatter score over the top which I mean it's up there amongst my favourite scores ever written I fucking wow. adore it I, I've listened oh, to yeah. it 
loads and it's just beautiful and it's haunting and it's whimsical and you know it's just so well crafted and it sits so beautifully over the movie as well that I mean I, 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 the balls of the guy for a start to do a movie like this but the fact that it, it feels I always can tell in a movie where I can see the bit where the director maybe had to fight for something and maybe lost. <laughs> like, you know, where a producer, like, I just really want this, and the producer's like, we can't have that. Or the studio's <laughs> like, you just toned this back a little bit. Um, and I never feel that with Peter Strickland. I always feel the other way around. I always feel like like the studio's going like, can we do something a bit crazier, Peter? <laughs> like, he's, oh, you really? I always just feel like he's, and he, I, I feel like he's, like, I still don't, even at the end of In Fabric, I still don't think he's achieved what I think he will achieve. I think he's got a movie in him somewhere in his career that will be, like, deemed as being, like, as damn near close to a modern classic as ever has been made. You know, like, people will... I think he's almost there with Duke of Burgundy. I think he's pretty yeah. much, he's nailed it there. I think he's trying lots of things within Fabric. And I, I'll be honest, all of it works for me. Um, I don't, I, it just, I, for whatever reason, I am 100% on his wavelength with this movie. Um, but I think he's got something in him which is going to land and it's going to be the movie that we are going to... It's going to be like that movie which will all, always be synonymous with the name. Like, we might end up using Strickland as a term. Well, he's Strickland that shot, you know what I mean? Like, something like, like I, I genuinely feel it. But yeah, I, I, he's got this <laughs> Stricklandian. Uh, he's got that. He's got that. He's got. He's got all. He's, he's one of I consider the more interesting, dangerous directors. Not because he's pushing any any like agenda or anything like that. In that, he has a phenomenal grasp of sound design. He's a phenomenal eye. And I think he's a really good writer. I think like his stories yeah. are interesting. Yes, abstract for sure, but they are abstract in such a way that the movie itself, less what the characters are talking about or how they're acting, the movie itself becomes the vehicle in which the story is told. Like you, you can you can read so much into what's happening in a scene because of the way it's shot, and less because of what the characters are are saying. And that's mm -hmm. why he's not afraid in any of these movies to have whole segments with no dialogue like whether it's the travelling scenes in Catelyn Varga, whether it's the scenes of Gilderoy working with the sound design in the background and you know like creating these weird sounds which we never see what he sees but there's something horrible on screen or whether it's in the, the kind of in the Duke of Burgundy the, the kind of the moments of of care but also of tension between those two characters and the moments of silence or in this movie specifically where there are, you know, these scenes of people performing rudimentary tasks in a department store right. or, you know, all those things. It's like he's so confident that I don't need characters. Like, I, I'm just... It's like the way Argento is obs obsesses about a shot and doesn't give a fuck about what the actors are doing. You know, that this is my shot. Right, now you be quiet, paid monkey. Uh, you know, I will, I will make this shot and it will be amazing. Um... And, you know, he's, he obsesses I, I with that. that. I, I get that because it feels like you could watch anything because he, he hooks you. Yeah. And then he's, like you said, he's got that great eye. So he can spin through these quote-unquote boring scenes where quote-unquote nothing is happening, but he's mm -hmm. got you. Yeah. And he's such right. a talented dude that he can make all this shit interesting. Yeah. Every shot is like every shot in, uh, in this movie has a point 
of interest for me, whether the characters are interacting or not. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very ballsy movie, I think, in a lot of respects. I mean, he's still essentially ebbing to an extent. Um, 70s genre cinema. He's, he's he's picking different areas and different territories and putting his spin on it, which once again I'm cool with because none of these movies feel necessarily alike, but yet you can clearly tell it's the same director that's doing them. Um, and he's it's, it's almost as like he's expanding his filmic knowledge of different genres and then at the end it going I want to make one of them, uh, and I'm cool. He can keep doing that. Uh, sure. It helped. It helped in this one that Ben Wheatley and him have kind of they teamed up on this one. Wheatley uh, produced it, so yeah, I, f- I found that really interesting that, uh, yeah. that Ben Wheatley was on board. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, there's a there's a small collection of British filmmakers that I think exist in that kind of Wheatley bubble, and I, it doesn't surprise me that the two of them kind of gravitated. Also, interesting seeing seeing Steve Orm, who is you know has worked on a couple of Wheatley movies kind of work on this one as well, show his, his kind of comedic range, which I, I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I th- like I say, I think it's a... The, the, a there's not a movie like In Fabric. There are certain elements of this movie that you can certainly point to, whether it be a Suspiria or a British soap opera or a kind of Monty Python humor. I always come back to we're talking about the the handshake conversation, yeah. uh, or the wave always reminds me of the Ministry of Silly Walks um, uh, from Monty Python, which is l- literally what it sounded like. It's men dressed in suits walking silly. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's like all those elements coming together. You can certainly point, but there is not a movie like In Fabric, um, and mm. I'm you know if, if there never is another one, that's cool because I have this one. Um, any kind of final thoughts? I, I dominated the last like ten minutes of that. Oh then. no, I want, I want you to. I <laughs> want panastri, panastri, panastri. <laughs> no, this, uh, anything you want to kind of bring in before we we yeah. ultimately settle on where we're going to land with Peter Strickland? Uh, I got I got to see a few A twenty four films in the theaters. They got pretty good distribution, mm. even in uh, my fake big city of Tampa. <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm sad that I didn't get to see this one. Um, in theaters, I don't think it was hyped as much as some of the other. No, this A24 came out much forms. later as well. So even yeah. after it played in the UK, I think you guys had to wait on. It I wasn't quite a year, but it was like up towards that before it made its way <clears> over. Uh, but this reminds me of three things. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a book uh, called Discovering Scarfolk. Oh right. Uh, it's a dude makes these hilarious uh, fake safety like public service announcement posters but they're really twisted and uh he actually took uh scarfolk and made it a real place where all these posters these paranoid delusional posters are made oh wow and he made a story a narrative story around it and it's very funny it's very dark and it reminds me of this kind of like this 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 hellscapes that these people find themselves in Mm -hmm. bureaucratically speaking Yeah, yeah and uh it has some of the imagery and the sounds that I love from a film like uh, the Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> which I love very much. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, and I adore then, you for saying that. <laughs> then it's got a freaking uh, a touch of the J.G. Ballard. Yes, with, yeah, with yeah. High Rise because mm-hmm. I was thinking of High Rise when I was watching this. Those three things make a very, very interesting uh, soup. Um, yes, a, a Lundy soup. Is that his name Lundy? Yeah, it's a Lundy. So, yeah, Mr. Lundy. Lundy. Uh, but yeah, this this was uh wow. I love journey films, which is my 
term for these films that take you on a journey. They're not necessarily about a journey. Mm -hmm. And just like uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow or Mandy or that new Suspiria, it's like it just you're on you're along for the ride and after it's over they're always two hours long mm -hmm. and they're always leaving you completely wrecked whether it's emotionally or just um you're being bombarded with so much aesthetic uh you know freaking spice mm -hmm. like, like <laughs> spice you're talking about um it just, it just you feel drained afterwards in a good way mm -hmm. and that in fabric is certainly one of those films Nice, nice. Well, you know where we're coming to this, uh, and now we have to put our cards on the table. Uh, so, after now watching the final feature movie, as it stands just now, for our man Peter Strickland, I have to ask you, um, has your positions changed on the ultimate movie at the top? So, you're currently sitting from the last episode, uh, people know we started to diverge, and I went with the old Duke of Burgundy, and you stayed with Barbarian Sim Studio. Did In Fabric do enough to topple Barbarian Sim Studio? It did not. Mm hmm. It, it did not. I still think my, my order as of now is still Barbarian, Duke, Fabric, and then Catalan Varga. Um, this one. It was just so much work mm -hmm. that, like, and it's going to require multiple viewings. Um, that I still reach for uh, Barbarian Sound Studio, especially since it plays to my tastes mm -hmm. so much more than all of his other films. It really is just, I'm a sucker for that. Uh, but that is not a statement on the quality of this film at all. I mean, mm -hmm. this is his evolution as a filmmaker. I suspect he may not do another one like this. Like you were saying, like yeah. you don't care because it, you have this. Yeah. But I think that this was a, a him just going all out, doing all these crazy things, and then he's going to reel it in and make something smaller and tighter with less um, a less complex structure to it. Mm. And but this is a fantastic movie. It just was a lot of work to get through. So I'm still kind of reaching for the, the, the easiest of his films for my brain, <laughs> which would be Barbarian. But yeah, I, yeah, I just want to stress that these are, this is not speaking on the quality of any of these. This is just my, how would I rate these things? Because yeah. people want to know what I think, brother. <laughs> brother. <laughs> he's them Uri, isn't he? That's where he's tamping. Yeah, man. Yeah. What does is, what is old Dickie think? That's what people are asking themselves. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for me, I mean, in fabric comes close. Like I say, there's, I, I, I adore it. I think it's great, but I think Duke of Burgundy still is that movie that, to me, I think he, he nailed. Like, I, I, I genuinely think it's a perfect movie. So I, there's nothing. Nothing. It's a wonderful little snapshot of of what can be done. Um, in fabric is very ostentatious. It's very. The, the peacocking analogy is all I can come back to. It just feels like he's just like, I have arrived! <laughs> A24, deal with this! Mr. We Put Out the Witch. Um, did you put out a killer dress movie? No. <laughs> now you have. Uh, it, like, it's just so... 
ostentatious is the word I would use. Like on almost every level, it just feels like even when it's it's doing the kind of run of the mill comedy and the run of the mill drama stuff, there's something bizarre happening with it. And oh my God, that's yes. you know that's what you're that's what you get with a Strickland movie, which I I deeply enjoy. And it shows just another facet of his his filmmaking, which I I, I deeply love. But yeah, I mean, Duke of Burgundy. Dear God Almighty, um, holds a special place in my heart, uh, so it stays at the top for me. Right, Excellent. now, we will return one day uh, when he puts out another movie. I will get you back for like an addendum episode. Please. And we will, we will do this again. We will tangle it again uh, on this. But uh, I can't thank you enough for coming across and doing this. We will oh, kind man. of put a nice little neat bow on this. Uh, not a bow and still, but a bow on this one <laughs> uh, next month when we, we kind of officially sign off this. I'll give you time to sit back, relax, think about the greater concepts of Strickland. Before... Listen to the scores. I need yeah. to just oh, sit man. down and listen to the scores. Of them as oh, well. you need to do it. It's so rewarding. Um, and yeah, we'll go back through covering your th- original three words uh, and see at the end of the journey, do you think those three words uh, lived up to what you thought or would you change them at all uh, in hindsight? Um now, this is the second time you're having to do this today because we're recording two back-to-back. Uh, but let the people know out there where they can check out and support what you do. Um, on a little podcast called Hello, This is the Doomed Show. Uh, we're at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com. We're also at uh, legionpodcast.com. Uh, my buddies uh, Brad, Jeffrey, Simon, and myself, we do... Uh, a lot of giallo talking we do a lot of slasher talking mm-hmm. uh, very strange um not quite shot on video but like things that went straight to video we talk about a lot of that stuff and we've been doing it for a few years like nine <laughs> freaking years One or two. <laughs> and uh check us out we're yeah we're we're out there um in our sounds we make throat sounds <laughs> I also wrote some books. Uh, just look up Richard Glenn Schmidt on uh, Amazon.com. You'll find my books. I've also written for a couple of magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written for Wang's Chop, uh, which is W-E-N-G, you dirty man, not W-A-N-G. <laughs> I know where my brain was going. <laughs> hey, uh, but it's, uh, it's a really fun magazine. I don't get any money from any of that. It, they just use that to uh, support the magazine itself. And I've also written for a magazine called Monster with an exclamation point. Um, Monster! (laughs) And uh, I'm really proud of being uh, able to ruin their magazine with my stupid-ass writing. So check those out. Phenomenal. Once again, thank you very much for joining me. I am going to take um, I'm going to take my leave of you just now. Uh, thank you very much for checking out Season 2. Uh, this is the last episode we'll be putting out in 2020. We will be back in 2021 with the final episode. I'm going to catch up with, uh, with Richard. Uh, before we jump into a massive Season 3, which will span the entirety of 2021 where I will be joined by the titular Bo Ransdell who's been made reference a few times Um, (laughs) and we will be looking at the entire filmography of this little guy who is making a lot of headlines right now because he's got that Netflix money now and don't give a fuck Uh, is of course the man David Fincher as we travel through the entirety of his movies from the ones that he is happy to talk about like Zodiac and Seven, and the movies that he wish he hadn't been involved with, like Alien 3. 
And if that's the only movie as a filmmaker you're upset about, you're doing okay, David you're doing Fincher. Very okay. <laughs> you're doing, you're doing fine. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll be kicking that off in um, in good shape towards the end of January 2021. All that's left for me to say is I hope you have a phenomenal Christmas and New Year out there, and I will speak to you all in 2021. Take care and bye. <laughs>